Dalton, I think it's safe to say our entire team at Cracked Rackets are fans of the game of tennis, right? Oh, yeah. And as <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and as fans, how often do we find ourselves sitting on the couch watching these professionals play and think, you know, I bet my game could stack up to them. I wonder how it would go if I got the chance to play them. Every day we're sitting on the couch right now. <laughs> Well, maybe you're fantasizing about that while you lose to Lucas Bosch. But yeah, us fans of the game. <laughs> Shout out to Lucas. Yeah, us fans of the game really do think about it. And Dalton, I am so happy to finally introduce an event where fans will have the chance to interact and play against some of the world's greatest players. West off, if you could, cue the LA tournament intro. We've got the L.A. Tennis Bash this December 8th at the Manhattan Country Club. Play tennis and network with tennis trendsetters, philanthropists, former NCAA student-athletes, ESPN and Tennis Channel personalities, professional actors and athletes, and tennis industry leaders, including, but not limited to, Sam Query, Lindsay Davenport, Pam Shriver, Tracy Austin, Bradley Klon, Stevie Johnson, Jared Donaldson, Nicole Gibbs, Shelby Rogers, Ernesto Escobedo, Jeff Tarango, and more. He's so excited he didn't even let me ask a question about who's going to be there. Um, those are some wonderful names. I'm curious, how can I sign up for this event? It's going to go latennisbash.com. Let me repeat that, latennisbash.com. Oh my gosh. And like you said, it, it's not just going to be tennis, right? There's going to be other things to do? Oh, there's going to be everything under the sun. You name it. You know, I got so excited about those players you name, I forgot already. What's the date of this tournament? The LA Tennis Bash is this December 8th. All proceeds benefit First Break Academy, and you can go to register at latennisbash.com. One more time. L-A-T-E-N-N-I-S bash.com. Saturday, December 8th at the Manhattan Country Club. We'll see you all there. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. So a little bit of a different format this week. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Joining me as he always does, doubles partner, partner in crime, everyone's favorite tennis ginger, Maxwell Labauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. How's it going? I love big wave gold nails. We don't sponsor them, but I do love them. I do not know what that is a reference to. I it imagine is the that beer is the that beer I am currently drinking. Hand. Yes. And that's a hey, great shot to you. But not only is the beer what ma- what's making things a little bit different, but to listen to our full recap of the storylines f- since the U.S. Open on the ATP Tour, we want you to go check out our 62nd episode of the Great Shot Podcast. 62 episodes, Rothman. I can't believe we lasted that. I think that's more than matches played together. It's about as many seconds as you last in bed, so... That's, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that we got That was really there. funny. No, that... I'm really upset that it's not a bigger deal to you that we've now done more podcasts together than played matches. Because I mean, not damn. including practice matches, but we actually have recorded and released more podcasts than competitive registered matches, I guess, or recorded matches. Well, for some reason, you've now decided to retire, so let's get one of those sound effects for Gruskin retiring. I want it to be over and done with. Tired of being on the road. Long as the spare in the rain. 
But if you ever want to make the comeback, we can join the five O tour and we'll ball out. So let me know. No, I, I appreciate the sound effect as always. Just a quick tangent, but what are we better at as a duo, podcasting or doubles? Honest opinion. Trash talking in doubles. <laughs> we're, we're not <laughs> that specific. good at doubles. We're just good at getting in We're not that heads. good at either. No, we're not. <laughs> it's, it's plain and simple. We're, we're good at making oh, you know, people think we're better than, at things than we are because we're trash. <laughs> You know, a wise man once said self-deprecation builds trust. So there's a little self-deprecation for you. Uh, like we said, a little bit of a different format beyond the riff to check out, the again, the full storylines. We want you to listen to that 60-second episode, which should have come out already. What we will be doing now and doing moving forward is making our changeover chats their own episodes. That way we'll be able to explore topics in a little bit more depth than we are. You know, the the recaps of tournaments are already 50-some minutes long on their own. When you add another 30 minutes of the changeover chat, we know that's a lot. So we're going to be splitting those up moving forward, releasing them at different parts during the week. We will still, of course, be covering our favorite topics in the changeover chat, whether it's top storylines, things like... You know, who's got the biggest forehand, the best backhands, all of the tennis minutiae that we love so much here at the Great Shot Podcast. So, yeah, that you know, that's what we'll be doing today. Also, we definitely could use some fresh ideas. I think we have dug pretty deep into our diary uh, entries of what kind of topics we can bring up during these changeover chats. So if you have anything you want us to debate, uh, definitely let us know and uh, we'll, we'll try and put something together for you. We should also say before we begin, we do have some wonderful new ideas on the horizon. All of those can be checked out at our website, CrackedRackets.com. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Dalton's been making a big Facebook push as well. So if you've got Facebooks, follow us there. Definitely Um, throw us the like because he is obsessed (laughs) with Facebook likes. If we could hit 1,000 likes, and I'm pretty sure we're within maybe 200 now, but if we could get to that by the end of next week... It would be a burden for me and Rothman, to say the least, removed from our chest. So please do that for us listeners. Also, again, be on the lookout for our content. Follow the podcast, Great Shot Podcast, as well as our Cracked Interviews podcast. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about it because if they enjoy tennis, we know they'll enjoy these podcasts. But all right, Rothman, with that being said, it's time for our favorite segment. And, of course, we could not skip it. Fliegner, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's <clears throat> changeover chat. The changeover chat. You've gotten much more consistent with that than you ever were with your backhand. I mean, you hit that every time. That is a cross-court solid return in terms of singing. So you're saying my cross-court return is golden. When it's an inside-out forehand? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> you're such a piece <laughs> of shit. My backhand's better than yours. Okay, let's debate. Um, All right. No, let's do it. More today's changeover chat. As we've mentioned, we like to do, you know, we, we like to take this moment in the season. We've seen so much of the action already where we can come to some generalizations, come to some summaries about the things we've seen from players this year. Today's changeover chat, we're going to focus on the most improved players we've seen on the ATP Tour in 2018. Now, most improved is a broad term that can cover a bunch of things. Obviously, all of these guys are trying to improve every year, and, and many of their strokes do 
consistency in terms of developing a weapon, you know, things such as moving forward, things such as fitness, those all constitute improvement. What we're going to be looking today and a theme you'll see amongst our list, a lot of the young guys on tour in 2018 really took strides this year, whether it was getting wins over fellow players inside the ATP top 40, whether it was jumps in their rankings, you know, better results on the Grand Slam stages, the biggest stages of tennis, the Masters as well. Uh, some of the statistics we used, their rankings at the start of the year versus where they are now, their records, the amount of titles, ATP finals, semifinals, quarterfinals during their season. Again, their best wins. Do they have also bad losses that stand out? Do they have more bad losses than their other players? All of these things, you know, we're, we added up to make our resumes for these players and to make our lists. And Rothman, even before we get into the specifics, the biggest takeaway was how hard it was to do this, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think both of our lists are, I mean, could have been 10 players long. Um, you could but- make a case for 10 players to be in the top three I, and more than 10, all of them. Absolutely, which is why I think it's a little ridiculous, and, and I'm going to uh, lay out right now. They're, they've released the ATP awards, uh, or at least the nominations for the awards coming up, and so I want to at least put the, out what the ATP um, has listed as the nominees for Most Improved Player of the Year. So this year, they only allow for four players, and this year it is Marco Cecinato, Alex Dimenauer, Kyle Edmund, and Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, so I, I think those are all people that we thought about, considered on our list. Um, I do want to bring in uh, another list that is on the interwebs right now, uh, brought up by <laughs> Tennis.Life. Uh, hey, and shot. Interwebs? <laughs> it's the interwebs. Um, and they've got a, a little bit more of an extensive list, and they've done it based off of rankings specifically. Uh, but I think it's worth listing out. So their list is Nicolas Basilashvili, uh, Marco Cecinato, which is the same, Borna Choric, Alex de Manaro, which is the same, Kyle Edmund, Nicholas Jari, Daniil Medvedev, John Millman, and Stefanos Tsitsipas, which is also the same. So that is their list. Um, but Alex, like Can you I... said, that, that clearly is an indication of how many players we could look at for most improved. And can I just say before we begin, I did not look at either of those lists when compiling my own rankings. Oh, neither did I. These, these I almost lists wanted, just came out. I think I have to change my answers now because a lot of my guys, maybe all of them, you just mentioned. And I don't want to be a cookie cutter. I want to be a little bit different. So I, well, I look, reserve we, the- we just established that we made our lists before these came out. So they were copying us. They, they saw right. our Google Drive and they know. <laughs> Gornet forwarded them the outline. He wanted to leak it. It was, it was prime <laughs> information. He made some dough off of it. That's hilarious. But all right, let's start with our honorable mentions. And we're going to divide these into two categories because, as we mentioned, there are so many guys who could be named to these lists. These honorable mentions are guys we're, we're going to talk about it in a little less depth. We're not going to get into their resumes, but people who certainly caught our eyes in terms of improvement. Um, a guy, I, two guys I want to start with real quickly. Uh, 
These guys both played college tennis, both under the age of 23. J.C. Aragoni, and then, you know, even more so Cam Norty. Those were two guys I thought take huge jumps this year. For Aragoni, he's a consistent threat on the challenger circuit now. He's made a couple quarterfinals. For Nori, I mean, the guy is winning ATP matches week in, week out. He is certainly a threat you know, to advance to second rounds. He's inside the top 100 solidly. Will get into the Australian Open on his ranking. Uh, you know, those two, uh, for JC, still at the challenger level, but for him to take the jump he did first year on the tour, he's already top 250. And then for Nori, top 100 have to be mentioned. Absolutely. I mean, both those guys had spectacular seasons. And uh, I, I don't want to steal this one from you because uh, I think you'll, you know, me for it at another point. <laughs> but uh, I, I also, when thinking about some of the younger guys, um, Mackie McDonald is obviously someone who deserves to be on the honorable mentions list, has had some great wins this year, started at 176 and is now 84 has uh, an ATP quarterfinal and obviously had a great run at Wimbledon, so uh, also deserves to be up there as well. You know, for me, he was a real litmus test in terms of who I wanted to really get into and consider for my top three versus not. For me, Mackie didn't quite have the consistency on the ATP level of, at the ATP level events to qualify. Exactly. You see, he's 23 and 19, only one ATP quarterfinal. Some great wins. You know, he's beaten Ruben, Tiafo, Kudla, FAA, but still not quite at the level of the 27, 28, 29 win threshold of the guys above him. Um, some other guys I wanted to mention real quick, you know, Tennis Sandgren. You forget, but he made the Australian Open quarterfinals earlier this year. Guy is solidly inside the top 75. Has a ton of points to defend, obviously, very quickly in 2019. But still, you have to mention him. Uh, I thought John Isner, you know, he was already (laughs) so good before. But considering the results he had at the Masters, another guy like him, Kevin Anderson, you could put in the same breath. Yeah, These guys took jumps from... You know, they're top 15. They're always going to, in theory, be there. But now these guys were top 10, maybe even for Anderson, top five uh, top five player on tour this year. They were threats to win at the majors, at the masters. Isner does take a masters. Anderson obviously makes a major final. That's a jump. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, good for those guys. I also want to bring up a few other honorable mentions before we dive in. Uh, one for me is John the Milkman Millman. Um, you, know, <laughs> you mean he... Connor Johnston? <laughs> yes. If anyone wants a, a little side-by-side, they are the same person. Um, but John Millman went from 127 to 36, uh, obviously highly due to the fact that he made that quarterfinal run where he beats Federer at the U.S. Open. Um and also, he had two challenger titles in the year, so you know, definitely a good season for him. Uh, and then another person that I, I don't know if you're going to mention, but uh, was on one of these lists was Basilashvili, and uh, actually, so Sports Illustrator editor John Wertheim actually has Basilashvili as his most improved player of the year. I would like to hard disagree with him as the most improved. Um, I think he's definitely improved and. Uh, I would love to grab him and bring him onto the pod. I know he's got his own, but uh, I-, I would be interested in kind of debating that with him because there's no way you can consider him the most improved. I don't know, man. Basilashvili has had, a, I think, two ATP titles this year, maybe even three. That was a jump in level. He takes out Sock at the U.S. Open. Even recently, he's had a ton of success. I believe he is now in the ATP top 30. He's yeah, certainly I mean, taken a jump. I, I just think... 
for me, I value for the young guys when they take big steps. That to me is more more sign of improvement than when a veteran has a big jump of the year. Maybe not. I, I mean, I just value when the young player improves more because it's indicative that he's reaching his ceiling. Well, right. I mean, he's jumped from 59 to 23. I mean, he's 26. He's not technically a – I wouldn't even call him a veteran at this point. Um, but, I mean – 26 he, and you're not a veteran? You're crazy. No, I don't think you're a veteran at 26. I think you're a veteran Look, when, when you're at 28, oh, 28 and up. Hard disagree. When you're 26, how, given how good these guys were, they turn pro when they're 20 or 19 or 18. Well, when you're a lot of these pro guys – but here's the thing, though. A lot of, I mean, we're about to get into a whole separate debate, so we're going to yeah. cut this off in like 10 we, seconds. I was going to say, you get the final word. I'm not going to debate you after this, but go ahead. I think my only thing is that, yes, people turn pro at like 16, but they don't really join the tour, like playing real ATP tournaments, unless they're stupid good and at like the, the Chapos and the FAAs who are at 17 and 18 actually do. Most of these guys are really joining in like 2021. And. Uh, maybe they're a little younger. I don't know. We'll debate that later. I think we should move on into our most improved. Totally down. A couple other guys I'm going to mention real quick. Chechenato <laughs> in the same breath as Basilish Beely. Not a guy we're going to cover today, but I agree. Uh, and then second half, Novak Djokovic. Considering what we saw in the first half, how are we not going to say the guy improved? He took, you know, dress. He didn't lose in the second half of the year. He lost once. The well, guy, we're he, not going to... We're not going to include Chechenato, who went from 109 to 19. He made a Oh, you Roland... do want to include Chechenato. I mean, he made a Roland Garros semis run. He Okay. I, uh, no, no. Then save it. I apologize. That's on me. I didn't know he was on your list. He's not well, on my list is what maybe, I'm trying to say. Maybe this is where we start. He wasn't on my top three, but I think he deserves to be included in one of the more improved players. Although he did just lose to Manorino two and three in Moscow, and so maybe we shouldn't. You know what? We're not including him. That was all. That was literally <laughs> right there. Was all that needed to be said about him. Westoff, I hope you cut out everything. Actually, I hope you leave all of that in, where Rothman actively changes his mind on the pod, <laughs> because that is not the first time that's happened. That is needs how that. my ADD brain works. And let's I'm also going to say, can I say real quick? Three guys I forgot to put on this list: Michael Moe. Denis Shapovalov and FAA. I, I yeah. may have squeezed FAA in, so I think I forgot him on my list. But all three of those guys, young guys who – that's just oversight. We're not going to get to talk about we them We literally today. have 20-person lists. That's what I'm saying. This was an incredibly <laughs> difficult exercise to begin with. But here are the names that stuck out most to us. Rothman, I have – Six guys I considered who didn't make my top three, but who I thought were worthy of discussing. How many do you have? I mean, I have four that I think are worth discussing that aren't in my top three. And I think they're the same. Okay, answers. well, then let's, let's, let's cross off that list right now. In terms I, of I guys... Think- I have Francis Tiafo number six on that list of guys who didn't make it. Did he make your top three or no? So he didn't make my top three, no. Um, but I, I agree. I think he deserves to be, you know, in that top ten. So let's talk about him real quick. Francis Tiafo begins the year ranked number seventy nine. 
current ranking number 45. Or th- these may not be exactly right now. These are of Thursday. I believe it was the 18th, maybe the 17th at the time of October. So they may be a little bit different now. Still record on the year, 27-23. Has the title in Delray Beach. Made another ATP final on top of that. No semifinals. Only one additional quarterfinal. But did make the round of 16 at two Masters events this year. Wimbledon third round, first time in his career he's gone that far at a Grand Slam. You know he he plays Manorino and beats him first round of the U.S. Open. Has wins over Delpo, Chung, Shapovalov, Edmund, Burdich, McDonald, Muller. So many great guys. Rothman, he is a top fifty player at this point, right? I, that this is something I don't see him dropping out for the next ten years. Well, I mean he's currently short of top injury. 50. No, but um, I'm saying this this isn't like Fritz when Fritz flew up after the Memphis event, right? Francis is here to stay. When you're consistently getting wins against high quality and just solid players like Delpos and Chungs and Chapos, I, I mean, that is a clear indication that you have what it takes to handle the long and tiring season and get consistent wins. I, I think ultimately that's what happens to a lot of these players is that they're unable to do that and that's why they're not able to you know even seemingly improve i think that's that's one reason why some players honestly that may not show up on our list is because they weren't able to consistently you know show up throughout the year um the fact that he was able to huge indicator for success in the future i honestly put him in the top 25 uh, at the end of next year that's a wow so that's your bold prediction cue the sizzle please westoff I don't, even I don't know if hold. I'm ready. Uh, I, I don't the know forehand, that... though. You surf the forehand, the forehand. dude. Okay, his but surf hard to the forehand. With... I agree you're with not, you. You're it not beating Del Potro up. if your forehand can't hold up. He, he I think I, you I, on his forehand too much. So it's not that I. It's not that I shit his forehand too much. It's that <laughs> yes, you when do. you want to be in the top 25, if you want to have the amount of points on tour to sustain that sort of ranking, you cannot have a glaring deficiency. And if you serve hard with pace to that forehand still, you are able to you know coax a slice out of Tiafo and then put him on the defensive immediately. Now, to his credit, he's amazing on the defensive, of course. But still, that sort of weakness, look at guys who are I have ahead of him on my list. The Medvedevs, the Kachnovs, the Choriches, the Chungs. None of them have a glaring weakness, in my opinion. And to me, that's their biggest strength. That's the biggest thing I saw from this, them this year, is they raised their floors just a little bit higher. So you know, okay, they're not going to be worse than this level of player. For Tiafo. The fluctuation of his level of play consistently in matches, that's still worrying to me. Obviously, I have him on my list. I agree. He showed a jump this year. But it's a concern. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I don't I don't think there's All right, you wanna move on to the next one? Yeah, I was say I don't think there's a whole lot more to argue. I would I am excited to see if I'm right, because I think I will be. I, I I hope you're right. For the record, <clears throat> I'm rooting for you to be correct. All right, my fifth guy I have, I'm curious if he's on your list. I'm going to guess no. Nicholas Jerry. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't have Jerry. And, and I think the difference in our list was that I had Chechenato and you had Jerry. Ah, I like it. Well, then, if I may, real quickly, Jerry begins the year at 113, current ranking 43. He's 28 and 21. 
has made an ATP final in Sao Paulo, three semifinals, three quarterfinals, participated in Labor Cup. The biggest thing I with know. him, his knock, I, I, sure, he's on the rosters. I love that still. But for, that's why he's on my list because I fell in love with him there. I just loved his the way he embraced the atmosphere. And still, nevertheless, that's a topic for another time. The big credit for Jerry, three semifinals and three quarterfinals. That means, you know, six weeks this year, he was playing at a high enough level to reach that final eight. He got multiple wins at the tournament. That is a jump anytime you can do that on the ATP level. And that's a testament to him now being ranked in the top 50. Um, yeah. You know, I, f- for him, I also think the serve and the forehand are weapons. They are, you know, top 25 caliber. Yeah, and he has a game plan and he knows how to implement, implement it now. And that will be huge moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean... I think one of the reasons I didn't include him, I think definitely made improvement showing three ATP semifinals and three ATP quarterfinals is an improvement. Uh, I do think there's always a little part of me that's hesitant to put someone in the most improved if they weren't at all successful in Grand Slams. I think that is such a large component to perform on the highest level uh, at the highest stage. And without that, um, again, that's just why he didn't break that top four quick if i'm uh, i have to quick counterpoint something i forgot to say earlier one do you remember the five set match against Mackey though at wimbledon yeah to me that was a level and you're right he didn't make it far in the tournament you know still no third round appearances but he did show a level to go the distance the other thing i forgot to mention his win over chilich uh, that was during the asian swing he won that yeah, match that in three win. sets he hit the f- out of the ball. I mean, he slapped <laughs> Chilich around the court. He showed that. But that's I, the when key I'm word. Hitting... He slapped. He slapped around the court. And, and you're is, absolutely... that, is that is that consist is that going to be able to be consistent? I no. am so doubtful. And I agree with you. But again, when you can show that level of play ever, you catch my interest. He's on my most improved list for sure. Is okay. that why I caught your interest? The serve and the forehand? Is that you? No, it was that booty. You know yeah, I love that yeah, booty baby. from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, all right this four. is where the lists get interesting. And I swear to God, I love Jerry and Tiafo, but these top seven, they are interchangeable. You could have them in any order, and I would argue with you because I like to argue, but I wouldn't say you're wrong, you're an idiot, because all of these guys, the difference between them, very negligible. My seventh place ranking, and we're not even doing a top three anymore. We've just, you know, we've devolved into just full lists. Number seven for me, Daniil Medvedev. Yeah, I I, I actually also have him at seven, which is perfect. Um. So Medvedev, just for some background, went from 84 to 21 in the rankings. He was 37 and 21 in the year. 37 and 21 is one of the better records amongst the guys that we have on these lists. The only guy on my list that has a better record is Borna Chorich, who's 36 and 18 on the year. So keep that in mind. Um, but Medvedev has three titles on the year, just taking one. Um Recently in Tokyo, he won Sydney and Winston-Salem. And he's also had some pretty good wins in the air. Um, he, he's beaten Tsitsipas, Schwartzman, Shapo, Rayanich, Nishikori. A lot of those were in the Tokyo win. Um, but, I mean, starting off the year strong is a great sign winning Sydney. You know, the mid-season win, Winston-Salem, and then the end-season win in Tokyo. I think that's a great sign for improvement to be able, again, to be consistent throughout the year. 
So of all of the guys I have in my top seven, as I mentioned, that's the 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 real top mark for me. Medvedev has the most titles at three, and there's yep. something to that. However, what I hold against him, only two ATP quarterfinals. You know, anytime he reached the semifinal, he ended up, although I should say he played a tournament this past week. I believe that he had his first loss in the semifinal. But before uh, that, Kiechnov. the three, yeah, the three <laughs> semifinals he made before that, he won the titles at all three events. Um, at, you know, that, 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 that means something. Yeah, and, and to me, honestly, the reason I didn't have him high enough was, to be honest, I didn't think he had enough high-quality wins. Um, he, again, congrats to him for winning three titles. Most of his high-quality wins did come in Tokyo, and they were great. You know, Schwarzman, Shapo, Ranich, Nishikori, that's a really great run. But for the rest of the year to not have, you know, anyone else that's a high-quality win besides... I, I mean, the fact that I threw Jack Sock in there is even questionable, but... Yeah, that that. Well, you're about was... to get mad at me. You're about to get mad at me because, respectfully, I think you're wrong. Uh, he beat Tsitsipas twice. He okay, beat Coltschreiber, so, Fognini, Donaldson, but yeah, Coltschreiber. But yeah, okay. So, but uh, the other guys that I have in my top have much better wins than that. So that they, they, I think is they, those all those wins are yes, they're they're quality. They're not high quality. I. I would expect someone of his level to be able to beat Donaldson consistently, to be able to get that kind of win and not have it be considered abnormal. And if I may, this is why he's on my list, because now you're right. These wins for him should not be abnormal. What he has established himself this year is uh, he is a top 30 threat, at least on the hard courts. On a hard court, it is going to be such a tough out to beat Daniil Medvedev. Why I don't have him higher on my list, you're right. He he played really well against Fed in Shanghai, though that was a tired Fed. But Medvedev still doesn't show a ceiling to me. He's only going to play so well. He's never going to, you know, hit a guy off the court. Agreed. And I think we've definitely made our case for him. The last thing I want to say is in his press conference after Moscow, he mentioned that after his loss to Fed that he said, quote, this is a very good experience. I've only been on the tour for a second year, didn't play as much against the players, and I realized that I could beat players like Federer. So even he, I think, realizes that he has the potential to keep improving and again, I, I agree. I think he does. And that's also why, again, I don't think some of those wins uh, were enough to make him you know, in that top three. I'm going to stress this. His forehand, disgusting on video. Not that bad in person. The racket speed is <laughs> incredible. And you like, said I, that I, about many people. I know. One of them, to- Noah Rubin. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's so true. That's very funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it it's just a fact. There's a reason these guys are so good. But all right, let's move on. My yeah. number six is going to kill me to say because he's number one in my heart, but it's Karen Kiechnov. Kiechnov. Who, yeah. Who's your number six? So I, th- I think this is going to surprise you, but I have – Chung at my number six. Oh my gosh. Okay, so who do you want to debate first? Um I kinda I don't think there's a whole lot to say about Chung. So I think I, I can just kind of give it to you real quick. Um the thing about Chung is that first of all, he's got I'm no titles. To, 
I'm about to disagree with you so hard. I'm I know you are. Excited. I know. He has no titles. Um, and he established for himself so early on in the year that he had that uh, that capability. To go that far in the Australian Open, for those of you who don't remember, he made the semifinals and had unbelievable wins. To go that far and then for the rest of the year to have no titles and you know have a lot of injuries and not be able to pull out some wins against the top players again i personally could not give him the most improved it's the most improved over the course of the year and he started off so strong it automatically made it very hard to give him a higher ranking so if list. we would have done if we would have done this list after the french open there's a 0% chance Hyung Chung wouldn't have been in your top. The top three. three. Yeah. And if and if we, you know, even before this week, and I should say, I changed my list today because I found out Tsitsipas, Edmund, Kiachnov, all won titles. So I had to make a couple of adjustments. Before that, Hyun Chung was my number three player. And here's why. Here's a stretch he had early in the year. Auckland quarterfinals, Australian Open semifinals, Delray Beach quarterfinals, Acapulco quarterfinals, Indian Wells quarterfinals, Miami quarterfinals, Munich semifinals, then he gets injured. You have to factor in I mean, injury number one. He has seven ATP quarterfinals on the year. The consistency he showed when he was healthy, you know, I keep talking about this, but his floor is top 25 player. When Hyun Chung is healthy, it's and it's on a hard court or just you know, which is the beginning parts and the end parts of the year. He is a tough fucking out, and okay, that it, is something he established this year. Starting the year at fifty eight, now twenty seven. How can you say that's not improvement? It, it it is improvement, but again, I think that the point you just made there is important. Is that his floor is very high, and so that being said. Those quarterfinals and semifinals that he made, he made after beating players that I would expect someone of his level to win. Like Delray Beach. He beat Cam Norrie and this guy, Franco Skugor, who's ranked 303 in the world, and then lost to Tiafo. In Mexico, he beats D. Young and Ernesto, and then plays Kevin Anderson. I mean, these are matches that I would expect someone of his level to win. And so... Yes, again, impressive. You can't, you know, discount the fact that he made it that far, but it is a huge factor that he's not playing always the highest quality player early on in those rounds. And like you said, his floor is high. He should win them. Misha Zverev, Daniil Medvedev, Alex Zverev, Novak Djokovic. He Young Chung beat those four players in a row at the Australian Open. That is the and best four-win stretch of any player on this list all season long. Except for maybe Tsitsipas, who I'm sure we both have in our top three. Yeah. I, I mean, Medvedev with the the Schwartzman, Shapo, Ranich, Nishikori is a pretty solid stretch. But Djokovic and Zverev. I'm, I'm saying— I know. I understand. Those are I, great that's why wins. I, and this is why we keep stressing everyone on this list is so close. For me, 
the Hyung stretch of time, that three-month stretch he had at the beginning of the year, that's the best three-month stretch of any young guy on tour. You can include a- a- any of them except for Zverev. That was just the most consistent time. That for that why is why, for me, I had him higher on this list. I have him at number four. He just missed out. Why I have Kachinov at number six, you know, he just gets his first title on the year this this week. Only one ATP semifinal, three ATP quarterfinals. He does, to his credit, make the Toronto semifinal, the round of 16s at Roland Garros and Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open third round. And that, to me, the consistency at the big events is why he got the bump over Medvedev despite the title disparity. I also think Kachinov took a you know a huge jump physically this year. You know he's thirty nine and twenty one. Yes, he went into the year ranked forty five, but he's currently after this title going to be ranked number nineteen. And a fun fact: this is the first time since two thousand ten there are two Russians inside of the top twenty. The last time it was Davidenko and Yuzny. Um, so that, that's fun for you. Yeah, Kachinov a little higher on the list than Medvedev just because we've seen him do so well at the big events, but falls a little bit short of Chung because we haven't seen the week-in, week-out consistency, at least to me, that I saw from Chung for that stretch of time. Yeah, and so I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I had a hard time choosing. So my, my fifth ranked was Edmund, and I had a hard time choosing between Edmund and Kiechnov and, and where to put them because again they they both had very solid seasons um Edmund you know 32 and 20 on the season went from 15 excuse me from 50 to 15 had some great wins he beat Djokovic this year he beat Anderson he beat Puy he beat Dimitrov he beat Chung uh and he just won a title this past week in Belgium um so again a great season. I think both of them are honestly kind of neck and neck in these rankings. I could have probably had them tied. I mean, so spoiler alert, and I, I want you to get, you know, I think you've given your piece on Kachinov, but I have had been number three. And the reason Ooh. I do that, that might be my hot take, but there's a reason he's up for most improved player from the You ATP just tour. like choosing players that make it far in Grand Slams. No, let, let's talk about it real quick. One title. One ATP final, two ATP semifinals, six ATP quarterfinals, Australian Open semifinals, French Open third round, earned the right to be a Labor Cup participant. Some other guys he beat beyond the ones you mentioned, Shapovalov. He also beat Andy Murray this year. I think that's a big win, just <laughs> no, mentally. It's not. Luca Pui. I mean, with this title as well being his first career title, Kyle Edmund. The forehand, the serve, the fitness, the discipline on court, he has a game plan for success. He seems to work his ass off, and that's not a stereotype just because, you know, oh, it's a white player. You're probably not that talented. He's British. He's got to work his ass off. Simply, he he does just really seem to be all in on making sure his career turns out the best it possibly can. I saw so much growth from him. I mean— he is just match tough. He has again, he's so disciplined on the court, so good at seeking in the inside out, inside in forehand, working players from the ad side of the court. He just showed a level to me worthy of being at the top three. You know, number fifty is good, but he is now, you know, solidly inside the top fifteen. That's a jump. Yeah, I I mean look, like you said, he's he's definitely made Strides and I think he has made 
you know, a similar stride to someone like Chung. I think they both have this floor. Right, they're three and they're three and four. Their floors are set even higher. Right. And there's a and, guy I have at number five. We'll get to who I think the same thing happened with. Oh, I'm I'm super curious now what that's going to be. But again, I think that's also why I had them back to back. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. I, I really just I think they they were close, and I, I want to so, hear your next guy. I'm I'm, all, okay. I'm now just thinking about who your next your next. So person is here's my division. Jerry and Tiafo, they showed growth this year. They were the ones whose level really jumped. Numbers three through seven are all guys who now, you know, they went from a two-story to a three-story house. Right now, the you know the floor is that much higher as is the ceiling because we saw a jump from them. So again, I have at number seven Medvedev, number six Kachanov, number four Chung, number three Edmund. My number five is Borna Chorich. He's the last guy in this group who now, you know, it's at least a three-story house. This guy is going to be fucking good, and it's going to last for a long fucking time. Okay, so, I spoiler alert for me, I have Borna in my third place on my list, um, and I think his jump was very different than the other, excuse me, maybe not very different, but I think his jump, like Chung and like Edmund, was just that one step higher. I think all three of them you could categorize in this level, like you just said, where their floor is higher than everyone else. But I think the wins that Borna had, his record and his ranking jump really do put him just slightly above the other two. If you I mean, want, so to look to look at Borna's statistics. He went. He's thirty six and eighteen on the year. He went from forty six, and he's now thirteen in the world. He's almost breaking that top ten, and he's had some great wins. He beat Krajnobusa. He's beaten Shapo. He's beaten Anderson. He's beaten Zverev. He's beaten Fed and Medvedev. He's beaten Fed twice. 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 His idol, by the way. We. Uh, I interviewed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> woo woo. <laughs> um, I interviewed him in Vermont and. He said that was the greatest win of his career. I mean, to be able to beat your idol twice in a year. At, by the way, Feds had seven losses on the year. So two of them to Chorich saying something. So, okay, I, I, I hate to play devil's advocate because I am also very high on the Borna Chorich bandwagon. Here's why he didn't crack my top three. One title on the year in Hala. That's great. You know, ATP, one other ATP final, but only one ATP semifinal and two ATP quarterfinals on the year. This guy plays some stupid f- tennis sometimes. Sometimes he just does not have his A game, and he loses first round a lot. He loses, th- I think, two or three first round matches in Asia before reaching the, the finals of Shanghai. The consistency week in, week out, you know, as much as you'd expect consistency from Chorich, it's just, you know, it's there. That's not, you know, as we mentioned, he made a jump this week. But for him to have made my top three, 
from what I expect from Borna Church, he would have had to make the jump into a top 10 level, into the Zverev sort of, I am never losing first round. And yeah, I know Zverev loses first round occasionally. Everyone does. But I'm saying really week in, week out, ATP 500s, Masters events, I'm competing at all of them. And again, for Church, makes the Indian Wells semifinal, Miami quarterfinal, US Open fourth round. He did do well at big events, but it's the week in, week out grind. He's just not quite there yet. The reason that he did well at the big events consistently was more important to me than also having that same consistency in the smaller ones. I really do think that players are selective on the tournaments they're going to play and how much effort they're going to put into them. I, I And as sad as that is to say, I think sometimes in a tournament, if they are down in a match and realize that they lose first round, they can take a break. I don't want to say that's what Chorich is doing, but if that is, his level of play in the higher level tournaments on a consistent level gives him that boost over the other guys who were more consistent against not as good players and weren't able to be consistent at the higher level. I think that's that has to separate them. I don't know. I, I completely disagree. To me, you show your commitment when you are in week in, week out on the and you, on the ATP tour, and that's the biggest thing. You know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic—they don't have to do that anymore. But there's a reason. You know, however many tournaments in a row was it? Like thirty out of thirty-one. When the one of when all four of the big four were entered in a tournament, one of them won it. And, you know, that that's the sort of consistency I want to see week in, week out out of these guys. I think we're starting to see it from all of them. But for Chorich, as well as he did in the big events, his neglecting, I suppose, of the smaller ones is why I have him a little lower on this list. I also think you just love him because he gave you an interview. Oh, he's, he's the freaking man. Um, <laughs> but look, both of us have now given up our... Third and place. if you would, real quick, will you recap your list to this point? My seven were Medvedev, Chung, Edmund, Kachanov, excuse me, Kachanov, and now Chorich. Okay, so that means we have to have the same top two guys, Stefano Tsitsipas and Alex Dimenauer. I think I, we're going to have opposites. You think we're... I think you love the Dimenauer bandwagon. You're also attracted to Alex's, as I know well. I'm going to imagine you have him number one. I have yeah. Stefanos number one. I, I know. I, I, that's what I just and said. We were going to have opposites. Just, I love it. And let's say about these two guys, why I think they're in their own class above the bottom five. Because, you know, not only do these guys show an improved floor, but we have no f***ing clue what their ceilings are going to be. We have not seen players who play like these two. I I mean, sure, of course we, we've seen it somewhat similar, but just the, the upside available to these two players, it's unique amongst the rest of the tour. Alex, you're right. It's very hard to differentiate between these two players. Look, Tsitsipas just won a title. I almost had to give it to him. I'm still partially considering giving it to him, but let me at least lay it out for Dimenauer for a second. Dimenauer had the highest ranking jump of all of these guys. He went from 208 in the world to 33rd in the world. That in in and of itself is absurd. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. To jump 150 ATP points in that range of, of rankings is crazy. People have a hard time going from the 100 to the 50 mark. 
And again, you got to give kudos to Tsitsipas for going from the 91 to the 16 mark because that's a hard jump. But from 208 to 33 is crazy. I mean, that's the type of things the Zverevs do that. The Tsitsipas's do that. The elite of the elite are the ones who make the big jumps. Kyrgios is another one who comes to mind. Big jump, right? Absolutely. And Dimenauer, he made that. Absolutely. Now, if we want to look at Dimenauer's notable wins, he beat Stevie twice. He beat Ranich. He beat Mo, he beat Benoit, Feliciano, Verdasco, Fritz, Chechenato, Chung, Rublev, Tiafo, Simone, Mackey. I mean, he was beating a lot of high-quality players all over the And we should also say he started out at the beginning of the year playing on the challenger circuit. So yeah. he's only had half a year to accumulate this many quality wins. It speaks it's it's a testament to his level in the second half of the season. Again, if Chung's the MVP of the first half, well, I still think Tsitsipas is probably the MVP of the second half, but it's a debate between Tsitsipas and Dimenauer firmly. Absolutely. And look, he started the season with an ATP 250 semifinal and final run. Very true. In Brisbane, right? Yep. And then you're right. He's playing challengers. He made three challenger finals this year. Unfortunately, he was only able to pull out one. He made another challenger semifinal. And he made three ATP 250 semifinals. I mean, he started off the year playing challengers and played them throughout and then was able to pull off also just fantastic matches against top players. I think he is one step away from really breaking through. He had a five-setter with Chilich at the U.S. Open. A couple weeks later at Davis Cup, had a really good match against Team. He had a four-setter there. I mean, he's just had... An unbelievable season all around. I, I, there are very few matches where I'm like, damn, that that's a bad loss for him. I mean, he makes the final, the City Open, loses to Zverev. He makes round of 32 at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Uh, as you mentioned, wins over Simone, McDonald, Tiafo, Rublev, Chung, Fritz, FAA, Michael Moe. He, the speed he has is elite. And sure, there are still flaws in his game. He's still a little scrawny. He looks like the 19-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever that he is. But imagine in two years if he fills out. He puts on 25 pounds. What is he going to look like? A yeah. monster. He's he's 19 years old. He only joined the tour two and a half years ago. I mean, he joined the tour a guy two and a half years ago. He's actually not a veteran. Like literally, and, and the jump he's taken is just incredible. Yeah, his demeanor in high pressure matches, unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's un- you can't face him. It's incredible. Why, however, I have to go with Stefano Tsitsipas at number one. Jumps from ninety one to number sixteen, as you mentioned, forty three and twenty seven on the year. Has a title in Stockholm. Makes the final of the Toronto Masters as well as the Barcelona five hundred. Two other ATP semifinals, four quarterfinals, Wimbledon round of 16. He's the one guy who's beaten Djokovic in the second half of the season. He's also beaten Chorich, Anderson twice, Team twice, Shapovalov, Schwartzman, Puy, Goffin, Zverev, Kachnov. Stefano Tsitsipas is well, you know, he earned his number 16 ranking. It wasn't a fluke result at a slam. It wasn't, you know, one run. It is... 
sustained excellence over the second half of the season at the biggest events. Stefano Tsitsipas has shown the weaponry. He's got the serve. He's got the love of you know thrilling the crowds. He's he loves to play defense as well as offense. He's willing to move forward. He's willing to take risk. He's willing to hit out in the biggest moments. You know he's not the best athlete yet, and I think that's a testament to his tremendous upside because he is already getting these quality wins. Again, give this kid three years to physically mature. He's going to be a fucking monster. So look, that is the part of your argument that I can't really argue with because you're right. He has weapons. He is not developed. and He, he can volley. As, of, he as can of right now, you're right. And as of right now, he does have more upside compared to Dimenauer. However... Compared to, I think, the overall growth, I still, I, I'm now realizing, I think I have to give it to Dimenauer. However, potential, and I think who might even have more growth over the next year, I'm going to give to Tsitsipas. Well, here's the kicker to me. Stefano Tsitsipas, again, if we're dividing the season into segment, he was in this conversation of the, in the first half of the year. He dominated this conversation in the yeah. second half of the year. And like you said, Dimenauer had the result in Brisbane, but then we kind of lost him to the Challenger Tour for a while. Stefano Tsitsipas has been in my mind all season as a guy to watch. You know, back when I wrote articles, I wrote one in January about why I was watching him for the season. And so I've, I'm sold on – this has been my take. It's, it's, it's what I want to end with. It's what I'm confident with. Look, I think that's a great way to end it. It only makes sense that the guy – I'm going to give you props because – Everyone deserves props every once in a while, especially you. You need them. You Can I get an applause, bit- Westoff, please? Okay, well, now you lose your props. Was- <laughs> but look, you made the point very early on that you thought Poss had it, and he does. So, yeah. look, I know you've got some trivia that you want to bring forward. I think that's a good way to end this Way too long of a changeover chat, considering we said we were going to spend 20 this minutes. This is a changeover debate. discussion. I know, which is <laughs> hilarious considering well, that's why, this is going to go This is why minutes. it's its own episode, and it will be moving forward. I, again, we mentioned this a little bit beforehand, so two quick things. One, we didn't cover it in episode 62. Juan Martin Del Potro suffered a fracture of his right patella bone in Shanghai during the first set against so George. He's currently wearing a splint and will be reevaluated over the coming weeks. I did a little research. I know at minimum this will be a six-week injury, and that's before he does all of the rehab you know, Rothman, it's just devastating. Um, do you think we'll see him in 2019? You know, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah he'll be back in 2019. It, it just sucks. Like, he, we, we were watching him post-wrist make this kind of long journey back to the top three, and this just set him back. And it's just sad. He He's... Just imagine what he could have been without injuries is uh it's it, a great it it's a great tennis what if what would, yeah. if Juan Martin Del Potro is healthy for, throughout his career does it break up the big 4 does and he I steal think, a and I think titles? and I think there's uh, a great changeover chat in our future of what if scenarios that will be coming your way I completely agree with you well then let's do one more uh one more thing before the trivia 
this was an interesting Twitter conversation. I always like getting your opinions on these. So a guy by the name of Albano Olivetti hit 11 aces in a row at a challenger, breaking the known record of Sam Query, who hit 10 aces in a row against James Blake. After this, Andy Roddick posted the tweet, quote, should ATP records be allowed to be broken in challengers? Would he have aced someone top 10 that many times in a row? Does a 600-foot home run in AAA break an MLB record? And then he posted the sentence, and go, dot, dot, dot. So I want to know, Rothman, what is your take on this? If you hit 12 aces in a row in a club match, should that be the tennis record? Because in my opinion, it should be. It's not about, the record isn't saying, hey, this is the only ATP top 10 player this has happened to. This is, hey, this is the only time this has happened in tennis. And we want to know about it. Yeah, so so I, I I'm weirdly going to agree with you here, and wow. and here here's my stipulation though, those records are are tough because you're essentially trying to compare equal leveled players at different playing fields, right? It's different if you were to throw you know Sam Query onto the Challenger Tour and he broke that record, right? But this guy is part of the Challenger Tour, and unless he is, you know, by far and away better than all these guys and deserves to be on the the real ATP tour and not playing challengers, then that record is should stand and should be as it is. So let me play devil's advocate real quick. And I, I agree with you, but I'm just going to do it. Boys 12's SoCal qualifier. Number one seeded Max Rothman plays Joe Schmo, so, the Joe so Schmo I, I, who, I who know, really, I really know blew where I already know where you're going with this. There is once you are a professional athlete, completely there, you agree. Have, you have broken the skill level barrier for yep. records. It is and a I professional all... tennis record. It is not yep. an am. It is a professional tennis record, and There's... you play to the level of yep. your competition. Could not agree with you more. I'm glad you took it there. That's what I was hoping for. Okay, as we mentioned, this changeover chat was quite extensive, and that will be the theme moving forward. Again, listen to that. Well, that will not be the theme moving forward. We hope to keep these changeover chats a little bit shorter than the normal episode. What I I meant to say is the theme will be we'll be exploring topics that, you know, are worthy of their own podcast moving forward. And so that's what we'll be doing. Again, we want to thank you all for listening. Go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Go check out this podcast as well as the Cracked Interviews podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Five stars only. Steal the the friends' phones. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, be sure to check out Max Rothman on Twitter as well. I believe it's at Max Rothman. Ooh. Be sure to check us out at Great Shot Pod. Give us our feedback. We would love to hear what you have to say. And as always, the biggest of shout-outs to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f*** of a job to do as always. Rothman, any final words before we go? I think it's time to let our fans go. All right. Well, then one last time. For my wonderful co-host, Maxwell LeBauer Rothman. For our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff. And from the entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Rothman, what do we say to our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone.